0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called Psalms of Summer as he speaks from Psalm 119 about how God's Word never changes, giving light to our path to guide our life in every way. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? the time is now
1: good morning impact church how are we doing this morning good excited to be in the house of the lord i hope so let's dive in now because we're continuing in our sermon series through the summer entitled psalms of summer each week we've been uh, diving into a psalms and, and expositionally going through it So today we're going to piggyback off of what um, Pastor Tim had started last week is talking about Psalms 119. So uh, we needed two weeks to to give this some uh, appropriate look and we're still not going to be able to go through all of it. 176 verses and y'all could probably say amen. We're not expositionally going through that today. All right. So uh, but what we are going to do is pick out some of the the home run portions of that that kind of speak to the to the gist of the whole psalm there in Psalm 119. And the title of our message today is light for your path, light for your path. And when you think of that, you automatically know that light gives vision. Right. So you have the ability to see what's ahead. What obstacles are in your way? Kind of hard to walk a path in the pitch black dark if you've ever tried to do that. Light is vital. So we're going to look at that as we go through and to kick us off, I want to talk to us about something that this psalm kind of leads into that's very familiar to all of us. And that is an instruction manual, right? I mean, you get instruction manuals with just about everything, don't you? How many of you? Always read the instruction manual before you use the product. Oh, come on. Don't lie. We in church. (laughs) Man, but if you're putting something together, it becomes a little more intense, a little more appropriate that you at least refer to that instruction manual before you endeavor to try to put that together. Are we on the same page there? And I mean, unless you've done this before or this is familiar to you or you've seen somebody else do this, but if you're walking into something different, something new, and you got to try to put this together, that instruction manual becomes pretty important, doesn't it? But what if we said, ah, I don't need no instruction manual. And I know there's a few dads out there. You know, y'all do that. But kind of co with me here. So you say, I don't need that because I'm going to put this thing together right here just the way I feel like it. If I feel like that doesn't need to go there, guess what? Ain't going there what kind of attitude is that and what would the end product likely look like I want you to think about that if you did everything you put everything together that way let's go a little deeper how about the car you drive what if the people who manufacture and put that car together said ah I don't need this training this instruction manual on how to do this you'd be okay with that you gonna buy that car? But they put it together by how they felt. They might have felt really strong that the valves didn't need to be adjusted. Who cares until you slam on the gas and throw a rod through the engine, right? Who cares that, that anything needed to be put together constructively according to the manual? It Makes a big difference. How about the plane that you ride? Maybe some of you got to get on one this week. Would you care that they put that together without the manual? Somebody put that together coordinator their feelings? Or how about the maintenance guy? He didn't have to refer to his training and instruction. He just did what he felt like. I don't, I don't see why that bolt needs to be tightened that hard. I won't be able to get it off next week, so I'm just gonna tighten it a little bit. You wanna get on that plane? Oh. How about your doctor? That might have to cut you open and work on something inside your body. You okay if he's led by his feelings? Or do you want him to follow his instruction manual and in his training? How about your pharmacist? They're going to mix you up some medicines and let you put it in your body. you okay if they just give you what they feel or should they follow the doctor's order and follow their instructions and training on proper dosages? Do you get where I'm going? You see, we want instruction and value instruction and need instruction in so many different areas. But why do we unvalue it in our walk with Jesus? Here's your instruction manual. Have you read it? Or do you just do what you feel? Because there's a big problem in this world today, and there's a bunch of people who just live and make decisions by their feelings. Even in the church, and it's bled into our society, in our churches as a whole, where people don't operate according to God's word. They operate according to their feelings. And we get in very dangerous territory when we do that. So what guides you? What guides you? What is the light on your path? Is it your feeling? Is it your friends and your family? Is it Dr. Phil and Oprah? What is it? Is it your own wisdom? Is it somebody else's human wisdom? Is it the cultural trends and the latest directions of society? What guides you? Because all those other things will shift, will change, and are deceptive and can be very deceptive and lead to your destruction if you follow them. When God's word is right here as an instruction manual, it's absolute truth. It doesn't vary. There is no variation. Nothing needs to be added or taken away from this word. It is complete. It is perfect. We're gonna talk about that next week in Psalm 19. Here it is. Do you value it? Do you use it? Or do you live by your feelings? What is the light for your path today? Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word, for it is truth. For it is light for our path. And Lord, your word reflects who you are. Why would we not? want to know more about your word. Why would we not love your word? If we love you, we have to love your word. You can't be separated from your word. So, Lord, help us today. Help us, Father, to not get a condemnation message Lord. that's not from you. Help us to get the conviction message. Yes, that is healthy, that guides us on the right path. And Lord, to hear from you and to know from you and to say yes to you and wherever you lead. Lord, that we can be sanctified according to your word for your word is truth. So, Lord, come and move and stir in our hearts today and may none of us leave today the same as we walked in. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be different. We want to be shaped and molded into the image of Christ because this is what your word says. When we do that, we can therefore then be salt and light into a world that so desperately needs it. Lord, help us not to lose our saltiness and to stay in path with you. Lord, we praise you in advance for everything you're about to do in this place through your word in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalms 119. You can turn to that if you're not there already. If you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be reading first through uh, verses one through 16. And of course, we have this passage, this whole chapter that has an emphasis on God's word. This chapter along with Psalms 1 and Psalms 19 have an emphasis on the word of God. Of course, we led this series off with Psalms 1. If you missed that, you can go back and and hear that or listen to it again. Next week will be Psalms 19. Hey, we're a church that stands on God's word. So, you know, if we're doing a, a Psalms of summer series, we're not going through this without preaching chapter 119 or 119. So here we are. Psalms 119 verses 1 through 16. I want to read this first and then we'll dive in. Psalms 119 verse one says this, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Here we go. Are you ready for this? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. It's the Instruction manual. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Could you praise and love and adore God's word any more than that? You see, whether David wrote this or whether this is a post exilic psalm, who knows? But here it is right here, plain and simple. And the whole chapter reads out like this, if you read it. I hope you have before. So what we have here is a psalmist that in today's culture that we be, would be considered a legalist, wouldn't he? Oh, what are you talking about? Obey. Follow the word, the law, the rules, the do's and the don'ts. That's legalism, somebody might say. Oh, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> not so fast. Because there's a, a evil, deceptive kind of boy, if you will, amongst our churches that want to move people away from God's word. And the number one way that's done is by anybody saying you or I need to conform our life, our thoughts, our words, our actions to this word. They count it as a legalist and they try to throw you out. But yet if you remember the Great Commission, you remember that, that little thing? Remember that little command that Jesus gave the disciples before he ascended? What did he say? Go and make disciples. Is that all he said? No, he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Was that all he said? What was the third part? Teach them to what? Obey. Oh, Jesus was a legalist. Come on. It says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's this. Let's keep going. This passage starts out in verse one by saying, blessed Tim did a great job of, of, of looking at this last week and and pointing out how this not talking about blessings in your pocket and blessings physically. All right. And he gave those great examples of of Joseph and, and Job and, and people who stood by God's word and 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 still bad things happen to him. So that's not the blessed we're talking about here. If you look at this word, it is the Hebrew word as And it means happiness. So you could read this passage and say happy is the one who's undefiled in his way, who walks in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies not blessed with finances and things and houses and cars and riches. That's not it. It's an internal contentment and happiness. Hey, the whole world is searching on how to be happy. There may be some people in here right today that you need to be happy. And the Bible is clearly saying that happiness is only found in God and his word. Are you sure? Are you seeking for happiness somewhere else? There's many people, in this world that seek for happiness in the bottom of a bottle. It ain't there. There's a lot of people who seek for happiness in drugs and pills and substances. It's not there. There's a lot of people who seek for happiness in immoral, sexually immoral relationships and wild parties and immoral lifestyles. It's not there. It's not. There's a lot of people who seek for happiness in money and finances and riches. It's not there. People who have all that stuff I just named kill themselves every week in this country. Does it make you happy? Happiness is found in the purity of God and his word. That's where the psalmist starts off with. And that's not just information that comes out of this Bible or comes out of the James Dobson's focus on the family research. This is secular research even shows this. Any kind of surveys and polling constantly demonstrates that those who live in a general conformity to God's standards are happier. They enjoy life more and are more content and have less painful things happen to them in life. That's secular research. We've read some of those statistics before in other messages. It's truth, guys. There's truth in his word. And it's played out even in society. Yet the illusion remains for so many that the defiled way is so much more fun and I'll be missing out on something if I follow God. Oh, what a lie. Verse nine, when you read through that passage, it talks about blessed in so many ways and, and walking with the, the Lord and his word. And then it comes down to verse nine. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? by taking heed according to your word. So not only are we going to be happy, how can we get on the right track? How can we fix what's broken? How can we ensure that that we live a, a life that's honoring and pleasing to God according to his word? It's plain and simple. How does he cleanse his way according to the word? And I'm going to promise you this was no less a difficult decision here when this was written as it is today, because it's always been a challenge for young people to live a pure life, always. And how much even more so today? When you don't have to search for pornography anymore, you can just click a button, get on your phone. You don't have to go to the the back room of the video store like some pervert anymore. I'm serious, man, you can just click that stuff, you get it anywhere and everywhere. It's so hard to remain pure today. It is. How can we make ourselves pure? By living according to his word. Man. The world tells us to have a good time when you're young. Get it all out of your system, right? Live it up. When you're older, then you can settle down and then you, be- you can become religious and proper and all that stuff. And that what the world says, live it up. Have a good time. I hear young people make excuses all the time for that. Man, This is the time I need to live and experience life and see what's out there. Man, later I'll do that. Uh uh-uh. That's not what Paul told Timothy, was it In first Timothy chapter four? Maybe you're familiar with that. And Paul told him what he says, don't look, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Instead, set an example to all the believers. Oh! How many teenagers do we have today setting an example for all the believers? I wonder if there's somebody in here that may be the first one to really set an example. I mean, in purity and in hope and truth, not out of legalism and just following rules and and a look at me type of posture, but a man, I'm nothing and Christ is everything. So I follow the Lord. That means I don't listen to what the other teenagers listen to. Not that I'm better than them, not that that I I think that that there's legalistic ways around this, but because I want to honor God with what goes in my ears. That's why. How about I don't watch and do what the other kids do on weekends? How about I don't do with my my girlfriend or my boyfriend what the other kids do with their girlfriend or boyfriend? Why? Because I want to honor God. I don't want to live with somebody before I'm married. I want to honor God and I want to be married before I live with that person. You get me? Set an example for the believers is what Timothy said and what you say and how you live. But yet, that's not the motto of our culture It's live it up. Live it up. How can you make your way pure? That's a question that some even adults who are numbered among the, the people of God in the churches don't seem to ask themselves anymore. How can I be pure? How can I be more? holy and upright in the way I live, the way I talk, what I listen to, what I watch, what I do. I'm going to give you an example that we've put up a few times here at Impact Church, and it's this little animal. It's called an ermine. If we have that picture, you can throw it up there. Y'all can kind of see that dude. He's so white, he blends in with the snow. You know what I'm saying? That little black thing at the end is the tip of his tail. It's the only part that's black. This is a North American ermine. It's a weasel. OK. And those of you that have been at Impact Church over the past five years, I'd brought this up two other times. This is now the third time. And you'd be like, what are you doing? Don't worry, I'll probably bring it up three more times in the next five years. because it's a great example. Watch this. This animal right here in the warmer months is brown with a white belly. But in the wintertime, which you can see there's snow on the ground, he goes solid white. And check this out, this little dude right here will not get his fur dirty, won't do it. So much so that this is a a fur that was sought after to make coats and all kinds of stuff, right, for rich people, all right, highly sought after. Hunters would hunt this thing and this is how they would catch it. They knew this thing did not want to get his fur dirty, so you know what they would do? they would find its hole, they would find its den, and they put mud or tar or oil around the hole. And then they set the dogs loose on it to chase it. And then the ermine would come around, try to go in its hole, it would see that it's dirty, and it didn't want to get its fur dirty, so it's not going in there to save its life. It turns and stands and fights the dogs to its death. Anybody else get a message there besides me? I'd rather die and dishonor God and get my fur dirty. How about you? So many times we give in and just say, it's, oh, it's okay, it's just a little dirt. I can wash it off. I can go to just confession, I can throw up a prayer and say, oh Lord, forgive me, with every bit of intention in your heart to go and do the same thing next week and you know it. That's not repentance, it's not. Do you resolve in your heart to honor God or not? That thing doesn't want to get its fur dirty. We have too many people who are okay in this world with living in sin and then somehow think we can have Jesus, too. And I'm not talking about the messing up sin where we're all going to do that. We're all sinners. Right. Please don't get the wrong message in this. I'm talking about unrepentant sin, the sin you make excuses for, the sin that you try to justify and say that it's okay because you feel like it's okay. Remember that message? That sin. Man, if we could take a a message off of that. just don't want to get my fur dirty. Let's move on. Because we know that this morality, this pure life is found in God's word. And it's only going to be done through his spirit in our life, guys. Make no mistake. We're going to talk about that a little more as we get in. But we know God's word gives standards for what we're to live by. That's the law. But then it goes beyond that. It doesn't just give the standards. It gives reasons why that there's, there's difficulties in life that you'll face if you don't. And then there's an eternity separated from God if we don't repent of these sins. And then it shows how there's, there's blessings, as this passage does, by living a life pure according to God's word. And these blessings are not talking about things and, and whatnot. And it's talking about happiness, contentment, just being in a right standing with God. We know this and feel this out in society when we drive our car. If you're speeding and you drive by an officer, do you feel very happy? Do you feel very content? No. You're like, ooh, right? Or, or how about you're like me and you forget to do your inspection sticker or your license plate tags, and you got the police officer behind you, about three cars back at the light, and you're like, oh. Do you feel very, like, okay at that time? Or are you like, I think I'm like, Slide into this parking lot here real quick out of my way and let him go on by. Oh come on, don't act like y'all don't do that. You see, when 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 your life's not in right standing with God, you want to hide. You, you, you feel ashamed. You don't and, and when you're when the difference, when you know that you're living right and it doesn't mean you're not messing up, we'll go back to that, but you know the difference between where your heart is and where it's not? You see, when you mess up in sin, if your heart is right with God, your heart is not to do that again, but to run from it, right? So it goes back to this this right standing with God. Happy is the one who lives according to his law. You know, God's word tells us about God is a refuge in a time of our temptation, and he provides a way out. This word is a light to guide us. We're going to look at that. It prevents us from tripping into deception. And it's also a key to renewing our minds. And remember, that's how we're transformed is by the renewing of our minds. So that's all the healthiness of God's word. Let me read for us another passage here that we're going to look at in Psalms 119. And that's 97 through 112. So you may have to flip your page over. Read Psalms 119 verses 97 through 112. It says, Oh, how I love your law. Ooh, it is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from evil every way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your pre- through your precepts, I get understand. I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word. Here's one you may have un- heard before. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continuously, continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Boy, that's there's a lot in there, in there and still just continually looking, being God, being led by God's law, God's word. He starts out in this passage and he says, oh, how I love your law. Boy, that goes against 21st century American culture, doesn't it? Oh, how I love your law. The superficial Christian may read and understand and, and even outwardly, in a sense, obey the word of God. But the spiritual man loves it as if he lives by it. And he can't do without the word of God. So to the superficial, the lukewarm Christian, that disobedience becomes a duty, becomes just, ah, just I'm just... Just this kind of slave, I don't want to do it, but I do it because it's going to make, and make me feel better and satisfy my conscience for this week. That's what it's like if your heart isn't right to follow God's word. But if your heart's right, it's food, it's medicine, it's light, it's comfort. This word is your life. Do you see the difference between the heart that's right and not right? See, this isn't about do's and don'ts. if, If this is just about rules and regulations to you, then you have the wrong heart. Can I tell you that? We need to be about the do's and don'ts because it's in here. But if that's all this is to you, then you've got the wrong heart. Because out of a relationship with Jesus, the Spirit of God moves us and motivates us to follow his word. It's not about trying harder. It's about surrendering more and submitting to his lordship. Tim did a great job last week at just briefly looking at the use of the law. We know God's law is there in his word to show us our own depravity, that we're lost, that we're sinners, that we fall short of his glory. So we're in need of him, our savior. And there's nothing we could do to come back to him on our own. It's only through the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we can be justified. But then once we're in Christ, he uses this law and uses this word to reorder and reshape our lives guys. And then through the spirit of God moving in us and teaching us and helping to apply this word, we then become sanctified. That's a lost word in today's culture as well. You see, everybody loves the idea of justification, but nobody wants to talk about sanctification where we have to to surrender our control of our lives to the control of Jesus and his word. And therefore he changes us. You see, inside the law, inside God's word, this whole Bible is a cornerstone of morality and it's and it's really a touchstone of vital godliness that's necessary for us to live our lives by. But many contemporary thoughts move away from this law of God and his word and give way to judgments of our own heart. And I real quick want to hit three ways and there's many more and many subcategories you could probably divide all these into, but there's three main ways that we try to give this over to the judgment of our own hearts and to others and not live according to God's word. And the first one is religious deception. It's religious deception. We're deceived. We're we're given a false gospel, a false testimony of what God's word says and how we're to live our lives. And this is most easily done through partial truth. I'm gonna say that again. This is most easily done through partial truth because so many people will look at pastors and say, well, they preach the Bible. They're preaching some truth. But then when there's that little 5% of deviation, you take it with the whole medicine and you fall for deception. One of these false deceptions is is this newfound kind of movement or it's not even a movement. It's just a, a underlying theme of of I'm free in Christ so I can do what I want concept that's prevalent in our society. So what that basically says is now that I'm in Christ, I can decide how things operate and how it goes. And I don't have to do anything else or have anything else to do with the law of God or his word because it's just uh, what I want to do. I'm in Christ now. I'm under grace. I'm free. There's some truth in that. But yet there's huge deception. Huge. What is that? I've dealt with this frequently in pastoral ministry. and It just blows my mind because this kind of ideology lets humanity go their own way and decide what's right or wrong. And it's scary because if that continues or, or even inside the small things, then you have to leave way to the bigger things that degrade the family. Like now it's up to a person to decide what it looks like to be a man or a woman. They don't have to refer to God's word about that. What do they feel like? See where I'm going? How should I be a, what is my obligations as a parent? What are my obligations as a child? I don't have to refer to God's word. I can just do what I feel. Who are you to judge me? Heard that before? Or what is it, what is it really, what should it look like to, for a follower of Christ to live his life out according to God's word in today's culture? Well, I don't have to refer to the word of God to that. I can just do what I feel and what I want. You see, that stuff gets scary. Because then you can go back to the concept of people get this false ideology that God wants to make me happy and therefore for me to be happy, I can do what I want and do what what makes me feel good and do what makes me feel accepted by other people and say, I don't have to listen to what God said. I don't have to do what pleases God. I can do what I want, even if it spits in God's face, doesn't matter. Because I'm free. I'm not under anything. Therefore, I can make decisions based on what God tells me personally and not what he's already said to everyone. Do you see the difference? What this opens the door up for, guys, is relative truth versus absolute truth. In other words, God may have led you to feel like that that dishonors him, but he ain't told me that yet, so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That is scary if that's how you live your life. That's scary. Because this is absolute truth this is what we should live by not relative truth so many times Paul even said you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore that that and you don't have to don't use your freedom to do what you want he said that to the church at Corinth in 1st Corinthians and he said it in Galatians 5 you're called to be free but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh is what he said Your freedom in Christ is from the penalty of sin and the bondage of sin. It's never freedom to sin or live like the world. That's what being free in Christ is. The psalmist even said that. Is it verse 89? If you look back, look at Psalm 119. Is it verse 89? It's not. I'm going to have to find that here in a second, but let's keep going. Because what's scary is, is we end up in this situation where we think we're free to do what we want in this freedom movement, and we're not. It's so clear in scripture. Let me ask you a question. What do you think makes a person drop to their knees quicker right now in our society? Moral failure or physical fear? What would bring a person to their knees crawling, crying out to God faster? Moral failure or physical fear? undoubtedly what you've seen what i've seen is physical fear even an atheist will cry out to a god he doesn't even believe in when he's in a situation where he's about to lose his life but yet the person that's living in in moral failure and 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 sexually immoral sin and 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 living not according to god's word the person who lies and tries to justify it who slanders and gossips and tries to make excuses for it and they don't see anything wrong with it people don't look at their sin the way they should anymore and fall to their knees and cry out in repentance. Instead, the the popular thing to do is the blame shift. Well, I'm this way because, you know, I I got I got that gene, you know, and and God made me this way and blame shift. Or, you know, if you really knew the situation, you would understand, you know, why I do this. You know, if you knew what they did to me, if you knew what they did, if you knew how I felt, you know, you would understand why I, I, I do this. And we blame shift, that's what Adam and Eve did, isn't it? What did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? And God come to Adam in the garden, right? Adam, where you at? You know where he's at, over here. Why are you covering yourself? I'm naked. Who told you he's naked, right? You remember the whole story? He said, what happened? He said, did you eat in the garden? He said, well, um, it was that woman you gave me over there. You see that woman over there hiding behind that bush? Eve get over here stop hide come on it was blame shifting and then God goes to Eve Eve what's up and then what Eve do that snake Where, where's that snake go ain't that what we do it's not my sin it's somebody else's fault oh, oh Lord can we hear your word James 4, 7-10 through 10 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You ready for what we should do for with our sin? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's what you do. But too many people don't want to humble themselves anymore. That's a lost art. Because there's too much pride in us. We want to blame shift. It's never our fault. It's someone else's. So inside of all this, in this freedom concept of doing what I want and justifying it, we've created a context and a faith where we're able to justify and excuse just about everything we do. And then they do it somehow under the the pretext and the idea that it's their benefit from being in Christ. Oh, how that must break the heart of God. The very things that Jesus went to the cross for to pay the penalty for people live out and think it's their right to do so. That's scary. That's scary stuff. So do we have a, a duty as believers? Do we? Wait, hold up, Pastor, that's scary. You're talking duty and faith? Answer is yes. What's your duty? Do the will of God. It's all through Scripture. That's your duty. How do I do that? Not in your own strength. Just took it off. How are we going to complete the will of God? How is that possible in my life and your life? You don't have that ability, and I don't have that ability. Because we're sinners and we all fall short. The only way you and I are going to fulfill the will of God in our life is to surrender, give up control. I lose control, God, you're in control now. My feelings, my family, my friends, human wisdom, culture, they don't guide me anymore. This does. That's how. And it's done through the Spirit of God in you. So what the Spirit of God does is he subdues our natural sinful nature and enables our desire to fulfill his word and his will. That's the work of the Spirit of God. It's not about you. That You're not a better person than anybody else if you follow this than the person that doesn't. That doesn't make you better. It just means Christ is in you. That's it. He gets all the glory, not you, not me. Is Jesus leading you? Is the Spirit of God directing you? You say, Brad, I need some scripture with that. Can I give you one? Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus' own words. Maybe you can believe them. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only those who do what? The will of my father in heaven. Oh, this is about legalism again. No, it's not. Because Jesus knew the person that was truly in Christ, although you will stumble and mess up along the way, will ultimately have a heart to fulfill the Word of God. That's salvation. That's it. Anything short of that is cheap grace. His grace is free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus his life. And you think about, if Jesus was on the cross, would we continue to to nail the nails in his hands ourselves, push the crown of thorns down on his head, drive the spear in his side, spit on him, laugh at him, mock him? Would we do that? No, but we do it when we live in unrepentant sin. It's exactly what we're doing. It's Exactly what we're doing. The Bible says to weep, mourn and wail to humble ourselves and God will lift us up. So. Psalms 119, 45, 44 through 45. This is the verse I was looking for earlier. Psalms 119, verse 44 through 45. I will always obey your law forever and ever. You ready for this? Talk about freedom. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Oh, that just dropped a bomb on that freedom in Christ thing we just talked about. Didn't it? Where's true freedom found living according to God's word? I didn't say it. God said it. That's when you're truly free. That's why Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. But never free to live like the world, free to walk according to God's word. That's true freedom. I'm going to close this up quickly because I belabored too much on that point. second way is human wisdom that we look at to make decisions to light our path when we don't look at God's Word and we know nobody loves being cross-examined or feeling like there's something wrong with the way they're living their life but as we grow as believers as followers of Christ we come to the realization that you and I are prone to self-deception we're prone to, to, to lean on somebody else's wisdom and not that of the Bible because we trust them because they have three degrees behind their name, so they should know what the Bible said, and they're going to guide us correctly. Not necessarily. Always go back to God's Word. Always listen to God's Word. We say, well, my family, uh, my my uh, grandma mom, and my grandpa, Paul, he was an elder at the church for years, and this, that, and the other, so I went to him for wisdom. Did you mirror that in accordance with God's Word and make sure what he just told you to do? It's according to God's word, because if it's not, if it just appeals to their feelings because they want to see you happy, too. It's your friends. It's your family. They want you to be happy. If they just told you to do something that's according to your feelings, they did not tell you to do something according to God's word. You've got to go back to his word. Watch who you get your wisdom from. That's why Psalms 119 105 says your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It's what guides us. If we're not careful and we don't have a light and we don't know which way we're going, we're going to step on some stuff that's going to mess us up. And we gave this example in a sermon months back when we talked about if you were going across a a territory that had that you knew had landmines on it and it had tripwires and it had pits that you could fall into that were covered. It'd be pretty scary to walk across that, wouldn't it? But what if somebody gave you a map? Go back to what Tim said last week, kind of. What if somebody gave you a map and said, hey, it's all right. We've already scouted this out. Here's where the landmines are. Here's where the tripwires are. Here's where the pits are. Here's where you can step safely. Here's where you cannot. If you step here, it's going to mess up. If somebody had that map, how much of a fool would you and I have to be to not take that map and walk by it? We'd be pretty stupid, wouldn't we? About to blow yourself up, man. That's what God has done. He's given us the map and he's told us where the landmines, the tripwires, the pits are. He's telling us where to walk safely, and where to not get it. (laughs) I don't know how, how much more applicable I can make it. This is what God's word does for us. This is what the psalmist is saying in Psalms 119. So living by the spirit then means a daily commitment to please Christ and not to please yourself. It's our duty to surrender. It's what Jesus said so many times. He said, if anyone's going to come after me, that means if anyone's going to be my disciple, if anyone should even be worthy to call themselves a Christian, what should they do? Deny themselves. That's the first thing you do when you come to Jesus. Have you denied yourself or are there are still some parts of your life that you want to control? and You don't want to give God control. The rich young ruler went away rejected from Jesus because he couldn't give Christ total control. Where are you? We live in a in a society that, that wants to move away from godliness in his word. Sinclair Ferguson, an author and theologian, said this, man, he had some great quotes, and I'm just gonna read one of them here. He was dropping some bombs. It was beautiful. Here's one. He says, So what is the place of the law in the life of the Christian? Simply this. We are no longer under the law to be condemned by it. We are now inlawed to it. Because of our betrothal to Christ, he has written the law and love for it into our hearts. Oh, boy, that just kind of explains it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That is, there it is. It's so beautiful. Love for God and love for his word go hand in hand. You can't separate Jesus from his word. He's the author of all of it, From Genesis to Revelation, because he's God. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. and The word was God. Verse 14 in that chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's God. So he's the author of all this, not just the red letters, by the way. He's the author of all of it. Last one that I close on, and this is a big one. What do we use so many times to make decisions, to guide our path, to light our path? and we don't look to God's word, it's our feelings. Go back to where we opened and this is how we'll close. We make decisions based on our feelings more than we do the word of God. You've done it and I've done it. We all have messed up and done it. And it's not what God wants us to do. There's a motto in, in our world that says, follow your heart. Man, that's so scary. Because the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17 that our heart is desperately wicked, is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. So don't follow your heart. Follow his word. Let his word guide your heart. That's how that's what you should be doing. But so many times when you say follow your heart, you're saying follow your emotions. Follow your feelings. And If we're not careful, our emotions shape our decisions by how we think. So how you think influences your emotions, and your emotions influence your actions. It happens across the board. And let me tell you what, feelings are an easy target for the enemy. I've seen the enemy get in my heart with feelings, you've seen the enemy get in your heart with your feelings, and we've seen the enemy get in other people's heart with their feelings, and do some destructive things to themselves, to their family, to churches, just because of their feelings. And they didn't humble themselves and go and let the word of God guide their heart. But in their feelings, they make wrong actions and at the heart and the root of that is a sinful nature, whether that's our own sin, whether our emotions are caused by somebody else's sin that they've done to us or whether it's cultural sin and the things that the culture has brought up on us. If we're not careful, our emotions can become a dangerous territory for the enemy. And until we master sin, we cannot master our emotions. Every unhealthy and sinful emotion leads to a, an unhealthy and sinful action if we don't control it. And it causes devastation. In society and families and even in the body of Christ. You see, God's word. Is like. A carbon monoxide detector. That's why the psalmist put so much weight on it and wanted to live by it. You see, what's a carbon monoxide detector do? It beeps and goes off when what? Carbon monoxide's detected. What's carbon monoxide? It's a lethal gas that you can't smell or see or know it's there, and you fall asleep, and you don't wake up the next morning. You die, your whole family dies. What kind of fool would we have to be when the carbon monoxide detector goes off to smash it, to ignore it, unplug it, and just go about our way. Because I don't feel like anything's wrong, but the whole time the thing's beeping and going off, what's it trying to do? This carbon monoxide detector is trying to pick up on something And to save you from something that you can't see. That you're unaware of. That you're blind to. Why would you ignore it? Deal with it. Don't make decisions on your emotions. Same would be with a smoke detector. Goes off because there's a fire somewhere in your house. Why? Why would you? Ignore that, especially when you see a little bit of smoke and you're like, OK, and you're just trying to make that thing go to go away and, and shut up so you can go back to sleep. That's how we do when we don't deal with our emotional strongholds. I'm not talking about the, the fleeting emotions. I'm talking about the emotions that lead to sin that we harbor. We don't get rid of the bitterness, the hate, the envy, the anger. All those destructive emotions that we lash out on and lash out at people and it causes problems. If we don't go back to God's word and let God redirect us, it's the same. As pulling the battery out of the smoke detector and cutting the wire and just going back to sleep, it's going to kill you. It's going to kill others. It's going to make a bunch of problems. Last example, if you didn't get anything from that. You go to the doctor. And sometimes you might go in the doctor and you say, Doctor, I don't feel good. But yet, everything in your body is okay. Or you may go to the doctor and you may say, Doc, I feel fine. Even though you just had a small heart attack and you didn't know it. You see, but what does the doctor do? Does he listen to your feelings alone? What does he do? He runs some tests. He runs some tests to figure out what's really going on. He doesn't just listen to your feelings alone because although your feelings are real, your feelings may not be accurate. Anybody else get a word? You don't go to the doctor or you don't search out a doctor that just wants to sympathize with how you feel and doesn't run any tests to get to the core of the problem. What kind of doctor would that be? But how many times do we want God to just sympathize with our feelings when the whole time he's saying, I want to run the test and get to the heart of this problem? so that I can put you on the right path. So what's guiding you today? If it's anything other than this, in the spirit of a holy, loving God that wants to put you on the right path, you're in dangerous territory. Don't step on the landmines and trip on the tripwires and fall in the pits that God has already mapped out for you to avoid. Surrender to Him and His Word today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you right now to give up control. Give up control. Coming to Jesus is easy, but yet it's hard. You say it's easy because he's already done all the work. You don't have to do anything first to get your life right with God. But what you and I do have to do is surrender, submit, repent, which means give up control. It's not easy to do. Have you done that? Or are you still in control of some things? Are you still living and making decisions based on your feelings? That means you haven't given up total control. Give it up today. Give it up because he's gonna set you on the right path. And there, the psalmist says, you'll find happiness. You'll find what you're looking for. If That's you today, and you're ready to give up control. Maybe for the first time that Jesus today is surrender your life to him, I want you to do it. I'm gonna lead you through a prayer that I want you to repeat from your heart to God's heart. And I wanna be very clear, it's not magic words, it's not the prayer that saves you, it's your heart. We've already talked about that. Yes, Romans 10, 13, it says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is true. But that's only because Romans 10, 9, and 10 is true. It says, with your heart that you believe and are justified, it's your mouth that you confess and are saved. If your heart's ready to surrender control to him today, then do it right now. Don't wait. Or if you're here today and you said, Brad, I've lived for the Lord previously in my life, but lately I've drifted, I've walked away, and, and today I, I want to rededicate my life. I want to resurrender control back to Jesus and his word because I've taken some control away from him and I, I've drifted, I've swayed, I've lived for myself and some of the ways of this world, and I want to come running back to the cross today and resurrender my life and be controlled by him. If that's you, I want to ask you to pray the same prayer right now from your heart to God's heart so to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life, just say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. And Lord, I'm surrendering all control right now over my life to you and your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross. God in the flesh, the perfect spotless lamb that was slain. So that by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, I could be forgiven of my sin right now. Lord, help me to never take that gift for granted. And Lord, thank you for raising from the grave three days later, proving that you are God and no one else. And you stand in all victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, right now, I want to claim your victory in my life because I need it. And my commitment to you is from this day forward through the rest of my life that you have me. Every breath I take and every step I make will be for your glory. Amen. If you prayed that from your heart to God's heart here today for the first time or to rededicate boldly and unashamed in this place, will you raise your hand? Say, Brad, I did business with God today and I'm not ashamed. I want you to pray for me. Would you just do that? Forget who's around you, beside you, behind you. Amen. If I don't see you, God does. Man, church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause for his truth, his word. It never comes back void. And I know that it probably spoke to a lot of people like it did over these past couple weeks as I've been studying these passages. So let's take this word and let's do what the psalmist said. Let's meditate on it. Let's live by it. and Let it redirect our paths, put light on our steps, make decisions according to his word and his word alone, because God wants to do something big through you. Will you surrender to it? He wants to move in your family. He wants to move in this church. The question is, will we follow him or something else that wants to lead us astray. Let's take this and let's follow him. Let's follow his word. Let's go make an impact for Jesus. Grab some friends, bring them back next week. We'll see you as we go through Psalms 19.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.